Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a great show. Dr. Tim Elmore is going to be with me, and then Adam Weber, and then Hour 2 is back in our Summer of Salvation series. Daryl B. Harrison is going to be joining Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself. It's going to be great. I'm so glad that you're available right now to spend some time with me, and I can't wait. Let's get things started. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the program Dr. Tim Elmore. He is... uh, He's really passionate about the next generation, uh, helping them become leaders in their schools and their communities and their careers. And he is the uh, CEO and founder of Growing Leaders. It's a best. It's a busy, best-selling author and, and speaker all over the world, although not lately because of COVID, of course. But uh, that's <laughs> Tim and everybody else. So uh, he is uh, my guest on the program. Tim, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. Great to be with you today. Thank you. You know, I'm a big fan of your work, and I, I, I love what you're doing and the way you are encouraging young people to step up and become leaders, because, boy, do we need that. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, this whole year, I tend to summarize it with uh, pandemics, protests, and panic attacks. I love it. So yeah. We definitely are needing a, a new generation to step up and take their place with with good mental health and with great poise and great wisdom. So that's what we're after. Yeah, well, I definitely want to talk today about um, this the, this young generation right now in the midst of uh, of COVID. But I also it caught my attention on your website, growingleaders.com, just for my listeners' sake, about artificial maturity in today's students. That really yeah. caught my attention. I don't know what that means, but I can't wait to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I realize it sounds very derogatory. Like, what is going on? Does this guy hate kids? No, I no, really not at don't. All. I know you don't. It, well, it's um, here's here's what artificial maturity is about. It's a book I did uh, a few years back, but I was noticing because of the smart technology that our kids are being raised with, they are overexposed to information far earlier than they're ready. I mean, preschool kids are on tablets, you know. And yet they're underexposed to firsthand experiences far later than they're ready. Hmm. So past generations, you know, like my mom and dad or your mom and dad, you know, they had jobs at 16 or maybe earlier and just real life experience came early. So this overexposure to information but underexposure to firsthand experiences creates a child that might look mature but yet may not emotionally be ready for life itself. So a good example might be, Maybe there's eight. There's an eight-year-old little boy that can download the latest software and 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 knows all of his math tables. And you look at him and go, my my my, what a mature little boy. And my response might be, well, maybe, but maybe not. That same kid at 16 might not be able to look an adult in the eye and have a conversation. Oh, so true. So cognitively advanced, but emotionally and socially maybe behind. So when we looked at the data, we found out that indeed is happening, which may explain sometimes why we adults get so frustrated. They're smart as a whip, and yet we go, did you not know what to do in that situation? <laughs> so anyway, it's a book on how do we lead kids to where they're holistically mature when it's time to be mature. 
You know, Tim, that's so smart because the social disconnect for some kids is so real because you might yeah. come across a friend and he might have his young kids with them and they're maybe looking at their phones versus yeah, interacting yeah. with adults. And yeah. and that's that's never good. No, you're right. In fact, you can tell, can't you, the parents that have really trained their kids, and I, I mean that in a good way, start look him in the eye, shake his hand, you know, to say yes, sir, or whatever, you know. And uh, some parents, I think, have just thrown up their hands and surrender and said, I, I can't do that. Others, I think, have gotten very intentional. And, of course, we're for intentionality. I think you can lovingly really equip your kids, not just in technology, but in life itself. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're after. Yeah. Tim, if the, this next generation are going to be leaders, what skills are they going to need to have? You know, when I think of you just mentioning yeah. all this screen time and all these abilities they have with technology, uh, what, are they, what are they learning about conflict management and other things like that? Yeah, that's, you just asked the $64,000 question right there. So here's something interesting. Uh, 90% of the people in, their, people in their careers that are highly successful, they would have crossed the line that they're very successful in their careers, also are highly emotionally intelligent. And I don't think mm. that's a coincidence. So it pays to have a high IQ, of course, but I think it really pays to have a high EQ. Right. So and that and conflict management, for instance, really falls under that category. So one of the things we're doing at Growing Leaders is partnering with schools and churches and other organizations where kids are and um, teaching social and emotional learning. Uh, SEL, social emotional learning. So it's it's a way of instructing kids and in how do you uh, manage conflict? How do you uh, you know manage a relationship? Um, how do you self how do you manage your own emotions? That's a huge issue. Um, how do you empathize instead of bully? So I know those sound so simple, but Bill, don't you and I both know adults that never learned that? Right. You know, they're bullies oh, at totally. 45 years old yeah. in the neighborhood. Right. So anyway, that's that's really we're trying to shore up that. We think reading, writing, arithmetic is certainly important, but boy, we want to train them in the rest of. I think a rest of a good education that often doesn't happen in school. Mm -hmm. Tim, say more about emotional skills. Uh, how are how are kids going to fully develop those emotional skills if if they live yeah. on, a, on a smartphone and they they get on Facebook and send nasty messages because they can? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you you put your finger on the on the issue. I think we all got ambushed by social media. I don't think we realized what it was going to do to our brains. So when I began to overlay some separate data, here's what I found out. As smart technology and specifically social media increased, empathy decreased. Yes. Parallel. In fact, the University of Michigan has a sociology department that's doing some great, great research. And they tell us that college students' empathy levels have dropped 40% in 10 years. That's just scary to me. So more educated than ever, but but losing some of these soft skills that we need. So um, let me just throw out one thing. One, one of the things we try to do is um, we try to teach parents and teachers to roll the dice. So DICE is an acronym, D-I-C-E. Um, I think we need to train our kids, with first letter D, with a dilemma. So we need to stop teaching with, purely with curriculum, or at least lead with curriculum. We need to lead with a dilemma. What's a real-life problem that we have in our, in our culture? Well, lack of empathy would be one. The letter I reminds us we need to go to an image then. 
Their their natural native tongue is an image. They are screenagers. That's what they are. Looking at Instagram and YouTube and Netflix. Right. So um, we've created curriculum that um, teaches a timeless principle. Uh, you and I would notice they're biblical principles that that that's taught with an image, much like Christ, like Christ taught with parables. So um, you have an image. And then, because pictures are worth a thousand words, that leads to conversation. Now you have student engagement, so that's the C in dice. So dilemma, image, conversation, and then the letter E is experience. It needs to lead to where we get up off our bottoms and we do something about what we know. So let me give you a quick illustration. I know I'm kind of dominating here, but no, I get excited you do, about this. By the way, Tim, okay, you're good, my guest. Good. I well, want you to do all the all well, the talking. Okay. okay. <laughs> Well, when our two kids were younger, they're both adults now, uh, when they were younger, we started talking about emotional intelligence and empathy and, you know, reading body language and those kinds of things. Well, both of our kids at like ages 12 and 8 thought, oh, yeah, we, we understand this. We got a handle on this. And my wife and I looked at each other and thought, oh, my gosh, no, you don't. <laughs> so we decided to um, – I started creating these images on empathy and so forth, like chess and checkers, one of our image images. In fact, let me let me teach this real quick. Great. Um, chess and checkers have the same game board. So you might be tempted to think, oh, must be the same game. Well, you and I both know that is not true. Not when all. you play the game of checkers, all your pieces move alike, look alike, so you treat them all alike. In chess, you have to know what each piece can do. Each piece has a different strength. So it is with relationships. You can't play checkers with people. You need to know who's the bishop and who's the queen and who's the knight and, and connect with them based on who they are. Well, we began to teach this to our kids, and then we did an experiment. My wife and I decided to have a party with our adult friends over at our house, but we asked our kids to host the party. Well, at first they thought, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. But you know what they learned? They learned how to host a party. They answered the door. Hi, <laughs> uh -huh. Mr. Johnson. Come on in. Have you met Mrs. Smith? Can I take your coat? Would you like some iced tea? And then afterwards, we debriefed. Well, it was such a better lesson after the experience because they realized that's hard. It's hard to host people, even nice people. So um, I really believe we've got to roll the dice. We've got to start with a problem, a dilemma, lead with an image, start a conversation, and then have an experience. And I really think this next gen has great potential to lead the way if we just equip them in a language that they understand. Tim, when you, um, if you want to have a fully developed frontal lobe in your child, uh, you do yeah. need dilemmas that have problems yeah. that have consequences that they have to live through. Because if you yeah. don't have them go live through the consequences, they're, they're going to, they're going to be slow to develop, aren't they? You're absolutely right. In fact, you know what happens. The amygdala in the middle of their brain does the fight or flight thing, whatever they don't know what to do, rather than go to logic and say, yeah, I, here's what I need to do. So you're absolutely right. We've got to say every decision you make has a per, some perks and some price tag. Right. Um, and I really build – going back to artificial maturity, I think authentic maturity happens when we slowly give our kids – autonomy and responsibility in direct proportion to one another. So five years old, a little bit of responsibility and a little bit of autonomy. Mm -hmm. 12 years old, a little bit more. 17 years old, a little bit more. But our problem, like you just hinted at, is when we give a teenager all kinds of autonomy without any responsibility or consequences, we, we, we raise brats. I mean, I'm sorry about being so blunt, but we've got a brat on our hands, and it's our fault. 
also, I really believe we can turn artificial maturity into authentic maturity if we do say, mm, there's a consequence there, and really let it happen, for sure. Yeah, so interesting. Dr. Tim Elmore is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue this very interesting conversation on helping our kids today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Tim Elmore as my guest. He's written a number of books and has got some great thinking on helping our kids uh, become more mature leaders. And boy, that's what every parent wants is their kids to uh, learn how to take responsibility, learn to have these fully developed soft social skills. That is such a gift if you can uh, help train a child up to acquire and to nurture these soft skills. Uh, it's a really big deal, especially when you want to try to get a job. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> In fact, when we talk to employers who yeah. hire recent graduates, they're begging for soft skills. They're, yeah, they have they're to going, be, Tim. We can, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and far too often the kids learn the hard skills like geometry or or reading, but, and, and those are important for sure. But I think there, I, I don't know one employer that's asking about GPA on the job interview. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. They would much so, rather. And here's some, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm sorry. I was just going to say the good news is that while IQ doesn't change a whole lot in our lifetime, EQ can be developed. And that's, I think, the primary role of a mom and dad. I really do. Yeah. Because I would imagine, Tim, an employer wants someone with a you know a team player attitude and someone that's, yeah. that's open to feedback. I don't know if this generation wants feedback. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think we've created a little bit of a fragile spirit in many, not all for sure, but many. Um, Bill, I got to tell you a recent story I heard. Um, I was talking to a, an HR executive who hires people, and she said to me, Tim, I was sitting down with a recent college graduate for a job, and he was sitting there with his phone right there on the table. First of all, I would say, note to self, don't bring your phone to the job oh, interview. Wow. But the phone rang. He answered oh, no. the call. Oh, no. Yes. Answered the call and then said, just a minute, and looked at the, <laughs> the interview and said, can you step out of your office, please? I need to take this call. Oh, my. So needless to say, the interview did ended right there. And she said, I'll tell you what, go ahead and take the call. We're done. Yeah. And he never got the job. But somebody should have trained him how to handle that kind of situation. So anyway. And if you have a, a strong work ethic and you know how to listen well, these are the kinds of soft skills I think employees are gobbling up all day long. No doubt about it. They're, they're very doable. This is not hard. And I'll tell you what, my son is out in California right now and he's looking for a job. He knows exactly what they're asking for. And um, so, yeah, the, the good news is this is not impossible to do. Uh, we just need to make sure we're limiting our phones and we're making sure that they're a servant, not a master in our lives. And, boy, that's that's what's really what's really hard for some of us in our families. Tim, the generation that grew up getting participation trophies, are they uh, do they struggle with feedback? Um, yeah, they often do. In fact, this is what I'm hearing from uh, employers, educators, even moms and dads are now beginning to acknowledge. Yeah, I, I can't even say anything. That might be criticism, constructive criticism without, you know, them saying, oh, my gosh, you're so mean. And I think we we should have gotten to them earlier with constructive criticism done with love and grace, 
but no doubt about it. Um, uh, can I tell you another funny story? Oh, please. You won't know whether to laugh or cry, Bill. I'll be honest okay. with you. So <laughs> I'm ready for both. My, uh, yes, exactly. So when my son was a late teen, he was a, a part of a community theater program. And he was one of the coaches because he had been an actor, so he was now a coach to younger children who were, who were thespians. Well, one night after a competition, he comes home and he goes, Dad, you won't believe what the adults did. I said, try me. He said, well, Dad, we, at this competition, every child that walks through the door, as soon as they walk into the door, they got a gold medal hung around their neck. Just walk in the door. Here's a gold medal. Oh. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they didn't even do anything yet, and they're now wearing you know, gold. So when they sat down, they, they said, now, kids, as you, as you do your, your competition, singing, dancing, and acting, here's the levels we're going to grade you on. Here's what you're going to get as prizes. The, the, the prizes were gold, high gold, and platinum. <laughs> gold was the lowest you can go. And then get this. This, this is the part that floored me. Jonathan told me, Dad, he said, after the competition was over, everybody looked like Mr. T. You know, they had <laughs> gold medals all around their neck. The, the director of the competition said, now, moms and dads, thank you for coming tonight. If your child didn't win the award you wanted to get, they're on sale out in the lobby. Oh, my. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So I'm thinking, now, we have created a problem here because this is not even remotely like the world they're about to graduate into, and it's our fault. So... Anyway, um, we got some work to do. Oh, no kidding. Let me ask you this. This is a little off topic, but I'm wondering your thoughts on the part that video games or virtual reality play in kids' lives. I mean, how do we show them that real life matters and real adventure awaits? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to have to be an intentional conversation because I bet you you and I both know – some young people, especially males, that just get caught up in video games. Yeah, I know. And I have, I've studied this fairly deeply. There are some positive outcomes, eye-hand coordination and so problem-solving. But um, I, I think the key is this. I think we need to make sure that we put a limit on it. And, and I, this is just me. I think the limit ought to be two hours maximum a day. And here's why I say that. The, the research across the board says – uh, a teenager that spends more than two hours on a screen is more vulnerable to anxiety and depression and uh, then diminished soft skills. Less than two hours a day, they're less vulnerable to these, these um, atrophies in their life. So um, I'm not saying it's magical. I'm just saying I think we need to put a, a boundary. We don't need to be mean-spirited, but I really think two hours is a great limit to make sure that uh, – and by the way, I'll tell you what. When we, when we were raising our kids in our house, we said, um, however many hours you have on a screen, you need that many hours face-to-face with, with first-hand contact with people. I wanted to make sure they were developed in both, both ways. They need to be good at technology. Their job's probably going to require it. Mm-hmm. But then I wanted them to be good face-to-face with people. And the good news is, while my children certainly aren't perfect, they're both uh, really doing well with their EQ and that's that's what a dad really wants, I think. Tim, how do we address all the anxiousness this generation has? Wow. Well, and it's it not limited clearly, to, to them. It's it's us as well. That's right. You're right. In fact, the number one um, statement or question that we heard from educators when we started polling our our partner schools during during the pandemic was they said, "How can I teach anxious students when I'm anxious myself?" 
And we knew that was not a rhetorical question. They were begging for, for, for answers. Um, I, I, I think that um, here's what I think kids really, really need, especially during uncertain times like, like we're in right now, this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, number one, they need context from us adults. And by that, I simply mean um, they're going to be probably very anxious and very uncertain about their future. Good leaders always provide context. Let me give you the, 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 the big picture, almost like the box top. Let me show you the box top to the puzzle. Now you can know where your piece can be played. So that's just important. And by the way, part of that might be, hey, kids, let me remind you, there have been four pandemics over the last century. Um, by the way, I lived through two of them uh, <laughs> myself. So, you know, you mm-hmm. can give some content and they go, oh, my gosh, it's not the end of the world. We're going to make it. Yes. So context number one. The letter A is applications. I think what we lack in certainty, we can, we can make up for in clarity. And so applications says, here's some clear action steps you can take right now. Um, and I just think that just adds security, emotional security to a kid's life. When they're anxious, here's clear steps. And by the way, at the beginning, did we all say, wash your hands six times a day, stay six feet apart, wear a mask, you know, those kinds of things. Even though that sounds cliche, even that kind of clear direction mm-hmm. adds a little bit of, of security to their life. And then the last word is belief. Um, human beings thrive when someone they, they believe is in authority just speaks words of belief in them. You're going to be make it. You're going to do it. I, you have it in you. Um, I just think we cannot underestimate the power of speaking words of faith and belief in our kids. Now, one last thought. Those three words I just gave you, um, context, applications, and belief, spells the word cab. So this is going to be cheesy, but I tell myself every day as I lead my young team, I got to take a cab if I'm going to get to where I'm going. I got to take a cab. Oh, so that reminds me. Give them contact. Give them application. I love it. Place. So anyway, that's kind of my my uh, at least my action steps that I'm taking. Yeah, Tim, you've just given us some wonderful things to think about, and always your wisdom is always brilliant. And I just enjoy you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to be with you, Bill. Yep. And the best thing I can do to, for our listeners is to send them to GrowingLeaders.com. And they can yes, learn sir. more about you know, what you do and uh, some of the books that are available. Absolutely. There's books available. And then there's even some free things. We, we um, made available five of our images that start conversations called Home Chats. People can download them for free and start conversations in their home with their kids that are meaningful and may just help during this pandemic. That's fantastic. And, of course, grandparents can do that with their grandkids as well, can't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. Tim, thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Dr. Tim Elmore has been my guest. You can go to growingleaders.com. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back.
Okay, this is the fun part of my day. For sure, get a chance to chat with Adam Weber, lead pastor at Embrace Church in Sioux Falls. And he, I don't know if he even knew at the time when he was writing his new book that it would kind of come out in the middle of this COVID-19. Probably no way of predicting that, but that's my first question for Adam. Adam, welcome to the show. It's good to be on the show. It's good to be on the show. <laughs> well, we're not, I wish we're, I, I I wish I could predict the future. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, when you started writing this book, who would have thought that would have been coming out at a time when it was maybe a little bit harder than usual to to love? Who would have thought? We just had, we actually had a conversation earlier today and the campus pastor said if our attendance was this low, like if we knew it was going to be this low, three months ago, like what would we have thought had happened? If like we saw this and we we're basically just talking about the fact that we had no, like who would have ever in their right mind thought. And when it comes to this book, it's crazy. It's like, I can't believe that it's coming out in a time when we need it now more than ever. Yeah. And of course the book is called love has a name, learning to love the different, the difficult and everyone else. And it seems that there are more, uh, more of those types of people nowadays than ever before it does it and uh often that person is ourselves uh, as well exactly, I, like, exactly. I, let me start with I, me i yes yeah, start with me and uh for those of us who are listening that follow jesus jesus uh usually talked about the person right in front of him to that person rather than hey i'm going <laughs> to share information that you need to tell your coworker or your friend like it was more like no let's talk about you and so i think that's important to realize we are often that difficult, indifferent person ourselves. Yeah. Well, you've got a book that's filled with powerful stories, and they, they make a huge difference, and they stick with you. But I'd love for you to t- talk about uh, Laurent and Brett today. Yeah. So I'll share about Laurent first. Okay. Uh, so um, this is a couple years back. I was sitting in my front sitting room when I noticed uh, there was a, a lady who was walking down our sidewalk who was fairly intoxicated. So she, uh, which is not an abnormal thing in my neighborhood. And so she was walking and I'm like, she is under the influence of something. Well, she was able to somehow get over to my newly planted maple tree. Now, normally when I see this in our neighborhood, um, I'm heart sick for the person Mm -hmm. and just like pray, pray for them, look for ways to serve them. Uh, This lady, again, she was able to somehow make it to my tree and when she got stabilized, she decided to try to break off my tree with all of her might. Oh, boy. So I, wa- I watched her in my front yard swinging on my newly planted maple tree. And I don't know when it happened. I became a tree hugger a couple of years ago when I lived in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I love trees. Okay. Like that's, I don't know why. I just love trees. And so instead of feeling compassion for her, I was full-fledged angry. Now, I hate conflict, so I wanted to yell, but I didn't. But I, I, I got my shoes on quick, was just about to go around the house and tell her, hey, can you not break my tree off when she stumbled away? But I, I was angry at her. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I wasn't in that moment, I wasn't just angry at her. I was angry kind of at everybody who walks through my neighborhood and just kind of my neighbors in general. Okay. Like I, I, went, I went from being angry at her to just had a moment of like, yeah, and why do people throw trash on my lawn? And why are why are people angry? Like, yeah. You know how you get on, you, you just get in a roll. And yeah. I'm, I'm not angry at her. I'm angry at everybody. <laughs> so a, a couple, a, it was like an hour or so later, my daughter comes up to me and she and she doesn't know that I'm angry and she says, uh, 
Dad, would you want to go pick up trash around the neighborhood? Uh, quick random side note, I'm a little strange. About a couple, probably two, three times a year, me and one of my kids will go around our block with, with bags and pick up trash. Um, just as something fun. I know that does. we have weird hobbies in, in the, whatever household, okay? Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a new hobby during COVID, just go pick up trash. All right. <laughs> so, she, so, she, so she said, want to go pick up trash? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to pick up anybody's trash. Somebody should pick up my trash today. But uh, she's like, Babe, Dad, like I want to go. And so I said, baby, I'll go. So I'm still just grumbling and mumbling. Like, and so we're picking up trash around the block, and I'm still just fuming at this lady. Like, just like, why would she do that? Do you want me to go to your house and try to break your tree off? You know, I'm just doing all that. We get to the very end of my block, and there's an African gentleman who comes out of his garage. I'd never seen him before. And um, he walks up, and he starts speaking in French. And so I didn't know how to respond, and I said, "I said, oh, we're we're just being crazy out here. We're just picking up trash." And he switched from French um, to English, and he said, um, "This this isn't crazy. This is love." Bro. And, and I and, and and I said, I was like, "Hey, my name's Adam," and he says, "My name's Laurent." And he said, and as he walked away, he he wasn't a huge talkative person. As he walked away, all he just kept saying to himself, and he was probably in his 70s and his 80s, just a really neat man. He said, not crazy. This is love. This is love. This is love. And here in this moment, I don't know what it was about him. I don't know if it's just his gentleness or just, it's just his kindness to me. It made me realize that I had uh, based my thoughts off of one person, off of one specific action I did, and ended up generalizing it to everybody. And what, what Laurent, he just in a simple way of saying it, said, this is not crazy, this is love. And, and that act reminded me of just how wonderful my neighbors are, how wonderful uh, people can be in general. And it just, like, it just kicked me out of my funk. And I just had a moment where I realized uh, and we need this now more than ever. We are quick to generalize people. You know, it's like one neighbor makes me angry at all the neighbors. One Republican or Democrat makes me <laughs> upset with all the Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> one person who has this kind of hair color, it makes, you know, like we just like we, we, we turn into crazy people. Mm-hmm. And love, love doesn't generalize. He, he loved God, basically. Jesus doesn't judge one person uh, and then judge all kinds of people off that one person. And also, he doesn't judge one person by one act from that person. Uh, Jesus, yeah, Jesus crossed paths with a, a lady in the Bible who had, was caught in adultery, and all the religious people grabbed their stones, and they were about to stone her. And Jesus stepped in and basically said, he's without sin, cast the first stone. Well, everybody drops their stone. And in that moment— Basically, Jesus doesn't generalize her and base her off this one action. Instead, he looks at her as a child of God, made in the image of God, and that changes everything. Hmm. Well, Adam, it sounds like you got a little hijacked. I mean, you were defending something you like and care about and love, which was your maple tree, and it felt felt destructive, and that doesn't ever feel good. And I get how you just sort of got hijacked, and then all of a sudden, every neighbor was irritating. And... I've been to that logical conclusion often. Yes, <laughs> and it's 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 the conclusion that we get yeah. even with our even with our spouse. You know, it's like we take one little thing and then we make it sum up our who our spouse is. 
and we take one family member. It's just who our family is. Yeah. We, 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 we get to that conclusion so quickly, and it's like, no, wait a second. Actually, my spouse is pretty fantastic. Yeah, there's this one thing that drives me crazy, but, like, <laughs> the, but, but they're a wonderful person. They've been by my side for 15 years. Like, it's, we, just, we do that so quickly. We go from one thing, and we make it everything. Uh, and it, it's, it's just like, no, Jesus, help me to focus on the person. Uh, I, I, I'm so grateful. That this would be generalization. I'm so grateful that people don't judge all pastors off of one bad moment that I've had or, or one, one pastor that's a rotten apple. Well, all pastors are like that or mm-hmm. all men are like that or all whatever are like that. Anytime we do that, it, 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 it dehumanizes people first off. And it's like, no, help me to focus on this person. And yeah, they made a mistake here, but gosh, they're a wonderful person. They're, they're growing in their love for Jesus. God is changing them. Anytime we generalize things, it's typically not for the good. All right, Adam, how do we keep that full picture view and not get distracted by that slight, small failing? Yes. With people, like when you're judging groups of people, mm-hmm. it's that constant reminder of Lord, help me to see each person as an individually unique people. Just because I had this one bad experience with one person doesn't mean that sums up every person. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's whether that's an occupation, um, a t- all teachers based off of one teacher, whether that's off race, one person who have this certain race, like, and then it's all everybody. I think it's it's God. Would you help me to see? each person uniquely separate, different. And that's only a mindset that we can have with, with really with God is what I would say. Cause, cause otherwise it's like, no, I've been treated by that way from by Christians. That's all Christians are. Gosh, no, that's not actually, yeah. you had an encounter, you had an encounter with one person uh, on maybe a really bad particular day. Yeah. Um, and so God, would you, would you help me to see each person uniquely and separate and help reset my brain. Your, your mercies are new every morning, God. Would that be the truth in how I view people? Adam, I'm curious. Is that part of your morning devotion that helps prepare your heart for the day? Because it, 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 it sounds like we should all start effective tomorrow morning with this in mind. Now more than ever. Now more than ever. Again, this, I'm, we are so quick to generalize people. It's crazy. And so I, I think that's such a critical thing. I, I, my, my prayer often in the morning is, God, would you help me to see one person that I can love today? That's a part of my morning every single, mm-hmm. every single morning. And I need that. And, but, but often, but often if, again, if you're feeling like you're doing that, if you're generalizing it, really begin to, to evaluate yourself. Are you judging a person you've never met before you even start speaking to them based off of something from your past? And I think it's it's healthy to acknowledge your past of, gosh, the last time I did talk with someone like this, a man, uh, you know, this specific occupation, this is how I was treated. That's healthy. Like, okay, that's why I'm feeling some of this, and that's why these these negative feelings are coming towards this person that I have never met before. But God, would you help me to see this person uniquely um, and, and help me to judge them based off of who they are, not by who someone with a similar like them. I think that's a 
important prayer, specifically if we see ourselves making these broad strokes with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, not, not all Republicans are like this. Not all Democrats are like this. Not all police officers are like this. Not all of this. Not teachers or bankers or carpenters, you know, mechanics. It's like, well, mechanics are going to try to sell you on things that they, you don't need. That's not true of all mechanics. Oh, my gosh. Some of the most wonderful people in my church are mechanics. Anytime we start doing that, I think that's the time where as followers of Jesus, we live differently than, than hopefully than, than the world does. And so, God, I want to follow you. I want to see each person and base base who they are off of who they are, not my assumption of who I think they are. Mm-hmm. So if we took our past experiences and we used discernment and then we uh, applied that toward being more artful as we communicate going forward with people, we're going to end up, I think, being better believers and followers of Jesus. We'll be we'll be light in a dark world yeah. for sure. Yeah, it'll be refre- it'll be refreshing, and it's so different because again, on our own without Jesus, we're quick to generalize, and when we begin to live that way, it changes everything. I, I just even the other day there was a fellow downtown who um, just had a lot of things against him. Just just as far as like. He was a person you could tell people were trying to avoid. And I, could, I, I, I watched it a little bit, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, everybody's trying to avoid co- eye contact with him. You know, maybe he's going to ask for money or, or you know, he's going to say something or I don't even know. Like, you, you just people were trying to avoid him. Well, I had just met him uh, two weeks ago, and I've really been trying to learn people's names. And uh, this has been true of the last two, three years. And so I knew his name was Gary. And so I walked up, and you could, he, he had been asking other people for money and different things. And I walk up, and instead of avoiding him, I walked directly to him. And I said, Gary, how are you doing today? And he was so taken aback that I knew his name. It was almost like he was maybe going to try to avoid me now because I, I shocked <laughs> him so much. I'm joking. Uh-huh. But he literally, his eyes were got huge. And he's like, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And I said, I really still want to grab lunch with you. Oh like, uh, we need to figure out a time to grab a lunch again. Because I, 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 I said, I, and I'd love to cover it. And I'd just love to hear your story. And he was speechless. Of course he was. Just because, just because I didn't stereotype and judge him off of whatever. And I, I just saw him as a person. And I, I think that uh, whether it's a person like Gary or it's a coworker or whoever it might be, when you see them and begin to treat them that way, Jesus just radiates. And people will start to ask you, can you tell me about the Jesus that you follow? And you'll, you'll be people who are like not nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christians and church, who will be the first that start to ask that mm-hmm. question because it's so different. Gary didn't think he mattered, and then you showed him that he did. He did, yeah. and he does, and, yeah. and I, I, and he so does to Jesus. Mm-hmm. All right, Adam, let me take a little break, because that's what we do halfway through our, our talk, is uh, go to break. So we'll be right back with uh, Pastor Adam Weber. He's got a new book that's coming out uh, in about a week, and we're talking about it. We'll be right back.
I am back with Pastor Adam Weber, who is a pastor and author. He's my friend, and if I went golfing, I'd want him to be my caddy. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a nice time just to be on the golf course together for four hours talking? It would be wonderful, and you have no idea how accurate what you just said is true. <laughs> my roommate in college, his dad, is still one of the local sportscasters here. Uh-huh. Great golfer. Yeah. He's a great golfer. And when I lived in his basement for two summers, I'd always be his caddy because I can't do anything. <laughs> Only time I got to take a swing, when Mark had a bad ball, he'd say, Weber, you want to take care of that? And I'd say, yeah, I'll take care of that. And I'd send it out to Jupiter. I would love to be your caddy. Yeah. I love the story about Lauren, and I want to hear about Brett now. Yeah, so Brent, Brent is Brett is a guy that I've known for for years, and Brett is uh, one of the most life giving people. Uh, he's started businesses. He's done everything from jet skiing. Uh, I mean, basically, you name what he's done: snowmobiling. Uh, he plays lacrosse. He plays hockey. Um, loves loves Jesus. Like just a faithful follower of Christ. Um, it almost feels like an afterthought, and I, I say that wholeheartedly, uh, that Brett also had cerebral palsy. And he, Brett is uh, wheelchair-bound and um, has been since birth. Um, he's got a, just wow. a powerful story. He, um, his, his parents adopted him when he was just an infant, not knowing that he had cerebral palsy. Two of the most wonderful, fantastic. I just got to hang out with them uh, about a week and a half ago. So that is Brett. So um, a couple of summers ago, was just at a hard place myself, just was broken and hurting. And actually, I initiated with Brett and said, hey, Brett, I would be, would you want to grab lunch with me? And so he's absolutely, I'd, I'd love that. And I just said, I'm kind of just going through a hard time and just want to connect with you, to be, be honest with you. So we went to the coffee shop. Um, that's also a restaurant downtown Sioux Falls. Um, I mean, Brett, again, is fully um, impacted by cerebral palsy. And so I had to hold doors. Um, I helped place his order because um, I think it could have, he absolutely could have, but just to help communicate because it can be hard to understand Brett. Um, help get the seat and get him ready to eat, cut up his food, that kind of thing. Basically, from the outside um, in, like if you're looking from the outside, Brett, by all sense and purposes, would be the broken person, and I would be the whole person, you know? just As far as just looking at the two of us, it'd be like, oh, he's so helpful to mm-hmm. the man in the, in the wheelchair. Uh, well, that's appearance sake because the complete opposite was true. Again, I was reaching out to Brett. He wasn't reaching out to me. And Brett told me that that love uses the most unlikely of people. Uh, in the in the in the Bible, I actually just finished reading in my quiet time again yesterday. There's a man named Joseph uh, who ends up being the one that takes and cares for Jesus' body after um, Jesus has, has died on the cross. And you know why why is he unlikely? Well, you'd think that here is the Son of God. You know, angels would be the one who would care for his body, and he'd magically fly into a tomb. Instead, um, God uses a man named Joseph. I mean, Jan- Joseph was a man. Jesus is the Son of Man. Joseph had a powerful position. Jesus is all powerful. Joseph knew about truth. Jesus is the truth. I mean, again, here's this human that's going to take care of the Son of God and. I, um, I I just am constantly reminded of, of when you read throughout Scripture is that God uses the most unlikely of people. And Brett, going back to Brett, he's been a person who instead of being 
uh, limited by his limitations, he's pushed the envelope of, okay, here's here's how, what I'm able to do, but uh, here's what God's able to do through me. And so I'm not going to be limited by this. I'm actually going to use this as a way to shine Jesus and his power and his strength even more. And um, I, I just, I look at Brett and I see so much Jesus in him. And I'm reminded again that Jesus heals and uses the most unlikely of people. And oftentimes what we see as disqualifications is actually what qualifies us to be used by God. Things that we, we look at as things that are, keep us from being used, keep us from making a difference, are actually the things that God says to us. No, actually, those are the things that qualify you for these things. Like you see them as disqualifying, mm-hmm. and even for the, person, for the person listening, I'm guessing all of us have things that we could list off, whether it's physical limitations or you know, past mistakes or struggles we've had in the past. Well, I can't be used by God because of this, this, and this. And God, again, always has a way of saying, no, actually, I'm going to use that to shine my power, my love, my joy, my truth so much brighter than you could ever use, uh, do it on your own. I'm going I'm to use that unlikely part of you to actually love other people and actually heal other people. And that's been true of Brett. And more than that, Jesus has shown me that that's been true time and time again. Ed, I don't think you could say anything more true or more powerful than that, because I'm, I'm so uh, convinced that uh, what you just said is so true. God will take your, your brokenness, your weakness, and what you may deem as unworthy, um, and he'll use it to his glory. Yeah. Well, I, I just had someone ask me the other day, why do you have such a heart for the outsider? And I said... I've had that since I was in elementary school and I was picked on by other kids. Mm. And again, here's this thing that is not a good thing. Like for, again, from the world standpoint and any standpoint, that's not right. That's not whatever, but I could let that define me and limit me of like, man, I've, I was a loser in elementary school and that's who I'm always going to be. Instead, it's like, no, instead through that, Adam, through that crap that you went through, I'm going to give you a passion for the person who doesn't fit in. I'm going to, I'm going to give you eyes to see the person in the room who feels unwanted and overlooked. And I, I, I just am amazed by how God does that. Even someone who's been through tragedy, it, it's such this horrible thing. And yet God's like, no, I'm going to give you a heart for the person in the future that's walking through that. And because you've been through that, that you're going to be able to connect with that person because of it. And I, Again, I, oftentimes our limitations is what God uses to get hit, to get glory for Him to be the hero rather than us, um, and that that's something that I'm so grateful for. Is more than anything, God is looking for a willing heart. He's looking for a man named Joseph mm-hmm. who's willing to care for the body of Christ. He's looking for a man named Brett, who, gosh, pe- uh, uh, so many people would 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 be able to judge him and limit him, and he's like, no, I'm not limited by this. God's using this, um, and I, I, often, I, even Brett told me the one time, he's like, if I could change it, I don't even think I would. Like, if I, like I'm, this is who I am, and like, this is what God has used. And so I just, I think, I think that's such a powerful thing for us to realize. What we think is disqualifying us is maybe God qualifying us for, for things that are 
outside of what we can see. Mm-hmm. Now, when is the release date of the, of the book, Adam? The book releases August 25th, okay. Tuesday. All right. So it's crazy. Yeah, I know. It is crazy. So tell me a, a lesson. Let's just remind listeners of a, a, a real great lesson from the book that we can start applying today without even reading the book. The, the simple application that I would encourage you is get to know the name of one person, mm. like just one person. Get to know their name, and maybe just if you want a second step, just ask them, how are you doing today? <laughs> I think even sometimes when we just add the word today, uh-huh. it, uh, it changes things, and then pause and allow them to speak and find out what they say. And then again, if you want a third step, yeah. then just ask them a follow-up question to what they say. Like, I'm doing good, but my, my dad's battling cancer. Well, would you tell me about your dad? Like, yeah. gosh, you know, like, our, like, and all of a sudden that person will begin to, to, to open up and you'll begin. It's the craziest thing. You'll begin to have compassion for somebody that maybe you've known for years or maybe a complete stranger. And it's like that person actually used to kind of annoy me. But now knowing that they're walking through this. I care about them. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's the simplest thing. Get to know somebody's name today. Yeah, I love the stories, Adam. I just love you, too. Let's talk next week as well about your book, Love Has a Name, Learning to Love the Different, the Difficult, and Everyone Else, coming out August 25th. Have a great rest of the day, Adam. Yep, you do the same. Thanks a lot. All right, we're going to wrap up Hour 1 right now and then uh, set the stage for our Salvation Series in the summertime, which is coming up next uh, hour. Daryl B. Harrison is our special guest. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.